Well, good morning. It's good to see you today. What a great way to start off our celebration of Christmas this weekend. We've had a great weekend of Waystation, the um, Christmas musical and drama, and had about 300 people here each uh, night, and more than that last night. And uh, so tonight is the last opportunity to see that. If you haven't been here, come tonight at 6 o'clock to see Waystation. And uh, uh, the great choir, great acting, great storyline, great celebration of Christmas. And then what a joy today to have Trademark and Becky Buller leading us in Christmas carols and celebrating Christmas. Isn't that great to, to have them with us here today? We are thankful for their, their being here. I want to just look ahead and tell you what's ahead in the month. Some of you may be traveling, and I want to share with you the wonderful opportunities we have to celebrate Christmas so that you can... Uh, be a part of these things. We don't have anything on Wednesday night this month, but we have something every Sunday night. So next Sunday night is our children's musical, Christmas musical. On the 17th, uh, men's ensemble and handbells and others will be sharing Christmas music. Then I want to tell you about Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve falls on Sunday this year, so it's a different schedule for us, and I want to tell you about it so you can be planning with your family or where, whoever is at your home to be a part. We'll have three identical services Sunday, December 24th at 10 a.m., 4 p.m., and 6 p.m. So each one, there will be no connection groups, be no Kids Connect. So each of these services will include a candlelight Lord's Supper, even at the 10 a.m. service. Each of them will include a sermon. Each of them will include a children's time around the Christmas tree and a gift for children. Uh, Each of them will include the singing of carols and special music. So they're all three the same. On Christmas Eve, you think about it and decide which fits your schedule better, 10 a.m., 4 p.m., or 6 p.m. Plan to be a part of one of those uh, great times of Christmas. We're also going to do family photos. We'll have an opportunity for you to have your, uh, your family's picture taken together in front of our Christmas tree and so forth, either 30 minutes before or 30 minutes after each of those services. So I encourage you to come and be a part of that. Today, I want to begin to share with you a series of sermons this month on Christmas, um, I want to move through the Christmas story and just retell you the Christmas story in chronological order, weaving together the two accounts of Christmas that we have in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke, putting those events together and just walking through the Christmas story this month. The story of Christmas is the story of God's salvation. That's the theme of Christmas. The themes of God, the whole gospel are introduced in the Christmas story because it's about God saving the world. And as I've reread it this year, there are two adjectives that have come to my mind to describe this story. First of all, it is odd. There's some odd things happen in the Christmas story. Odd means out of the ordinary, not usual. And there are some unusual things that we're going to see. It's an odd story. The second adjective that comes to my mind is it is wonderful. It is God entering our world. There are angels everywhere. There's the glory of God on earth. It's a wonderful story. It's God's odd and wonderful plan to save the world. So let's walk through it this year. Where do we begin? What's the first event in the Christmas story? Well, before we begin with it, let's look at the last verse of the Old Testament, okay? Last two verses of the Old Testament, Malachi 4, 5, and 6, 400 years before the Christmas story. Here's the last thing recorded in our Bible. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you 
before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And he'll turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I'll come and strike the land with total destruction. Here was a prophecy that God would send someone in the spirit of Elijah. And then for 400 years, nothing happened. I just say to you today, if you're in a time of waiting on God, don't give up. God's time is not our time. But God accomplishes things in his time. So if you're waiting, if you're in a holding pattern in your life, it seems, don't give up. 400 years after God said, see, I'm going to send Elijah. Nothing happened. But in the fullness of time, when God was ready, the first event of uh, the Christmas story was a birth announcement, announcement of an upcoming pregnancy. In fact, we're going to look today at two odd and wonderful announcements of upcoming pregnancies. It seems that when God works his salvation, he delights in birth stories. Did you notice that in the Bible? When God began the plan of salvation through Abraham, Abraham and Sarah were old, didn't have a child, God sent a messenger to them to say that in their old age, they'd have a son. When the people of Israel cried out in bondage in Egypt, and they asked for deliverance, what'd God do? He sent a little child to be born, had him float down the Nile in a basket until Pharaoh's daughter rescued the baby Moses. When the leaders of Israel had grown corrupt and God was going to raise up prophets, what'd he do? He sent to a couple that could not have children, a little boy named Samuel, who'd be the first of the prophets. God seems to delight in birth stories, doesn't he? So here we go again. God sends the angel Gabriel to an older couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth, a godly couple, but a couple who had no children. And Zechariah was a priest. And the story begins when Zechariah is serving at the temple in Jerusalem. You see, in the first century, there were 24 orders of priests. Every descendant of Aaron was a priest, but there were so many, they couldn't serve in the temple all at the same time. Old Testament divided them into 24 orders. And so each order served two weeks of the year, a week at a time. It was Zechariah's week. His order was serving at the temple in Jerusalem. He lived in a village nearby, but he got to go to Jerusalem and serve in the temple, a great honor, 750 or so priests in his order, and they cast lots to determine what each one would do. And some would get to offer the, the sacrifice on the altar, but the highest honor was to be the priest who would go into the holy place and burn the incense before the curtain that entered the Holy of Holies. Let me give you sort of the layout. It sort of helps me to visualize things. Maybe it'll help you to visualize things a little bit. So if you visualize the temple is a two-room building with a front room and a back room. We're going to visualize it up here on this platform because it was on a raised platform. The, the, the back room is the Holy of Holies. No one ever enters it except the high priest, and he only one day a year on the Day of Atonement. That's where the presence of God resides in Israel, and a heavy veil is in front of it. The front room is called the holy place, and only a priest enters it, and they twice a day at the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice to burn incense on the altar in front of that veil. And the burning of that incense as the smoke rises to God represents the prayers of the people that the priest is offering for them. 
And so you, the worshipers, don't ever come in the building. Outside the building is an area called the court of priests. We'll think about it being here. And, and there's an altar, and this is where the burnt offerings are offered twice a day, morning and evening, the, the sacrifices for Israel. And then beyond the court of priests is the court of Israel. There's a little fence, a little rail. You can't come any further. And we'll let the first half of you in the congregation be the court of Israel. The men of Israel could come there. About halfway through, we'll let you be the court of women. Israelite women could come there. If you're in the balcony, you're in the court of Gentiles. There's a rail, and you can come no farther than, than there. So that's sort of how it's structured. So the lot falls to what you get to do, and the lot falls to Zechariah. They draw straws. He gets to go. It's his day. And this is probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. After you, the lot's drawn to you, you probably don't get to do it again. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Zechariah's big day. And so probably at the evening sacrifice, because it says there was a big crowd, Zechariah takes some coals and a shovel from the burnt offering. And he has incense in one hand and the coals and the shovel in the other. And he ascends the steps up to the temple the Levitical choir is probably on the steps. They're going to sing a benediction when he comes out. And everybody's just out there waiting. They've offered their prayers and sacrifice. Now he's going inside to represent them. And he goes behind that curtain into the holy place. And he goes to the altar of incense right in front of the curtain that separates the holy of holies. And he puts the, the coals on the altar. And he puts the incense on the coals and it smokes up. And the smoke represents the prayers of the people and he's making intercession for them and then something happens that hasn't happened in 400 years by the best of our knowledge angels have not appeared on earth since the time of the prophet Zechariah and now another Zechariah the priest is offering incense and an angel named Gabriel appears standing on the right side of that altar and he speaks to Zechariah, and he, and he says to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, Luke 1.13, I'm reading, uh, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John, they had not been able to have children, and the prayers that he was offering for the nation, he was also offering for himself, and the angel says, got good news, you're going to have a baby, even though you're in your old age. And he says, he'll be a son, and you're to call him John. And he'll be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Here's the theme of the Christmas story. God is bringing joy to us. We celebrate, we sing. Why at Christmas? Because there's joy, possibly. Whatever your life is, whatever your circumstances are, you don't have to live in misery or despair because there has come to us the visitation of God that brings us joy. That's why we celebrate. You can live with joy. And he says he'll be a many will rejoice because of his birth. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll, he is never to take wine or, or other fermented drink, sort of like a Nazarite vow in the Old Testament. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. There's a new wave of the Holy Spirit coming, a new availability of the Holy Spirit with the gospel, and it's signified that John is filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he'll go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. God keeps his promises. Maybe a long time. But here, 
is the one coming, promised in the last verses of the Old Testament, coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children, a quote from Malachi we just read, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This will be the forerunner of the Messiah. His job is to prepare the world for the coming of the one who will bring salvation. Zechariah finds this a little hard to believe. He's old. Nothing like this has ever happened before. He doubts, and he wants to know, how can I be sure of this? And Gabriel, the angel, says, verse 19, I'm Gabriel. That's how you ought to be sure. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. God wants us to believe him on the basis of his word. Without a sign, he wants us to believe him. His word should be enough to us, and that's what Gabriel says. And now you'll be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So Zechariah gets a sign. He won't be able to talk until the baby is born. Now, all this time that this has been happening, you guys have been waiting out there in the court of Israel, in the court of women, in the court of Gentiles, waiting because he comes back out and offers the blessing from Deuteronomy, may the Lord bless you and keep you from numbers, may the Lord bless you and keep you and so forth. And so you, you're standing there waiting. It's not over till he comes back out. And it's taking a while. And what's going on in there? And they don't know. And it's a little bit scary because... Um, that's the presence of God. In fact, uh, Jewish writings tell us that, that when they sent the high priest in once a year on the Day of Atonement, they tied a cord to his leg so that if he had a heart attack in there, they could drag him out because nobody else could go in and get him. This is true. I mean, that's the holiest of holies. Now, he's not there, but he's right there before it. And so finally he comes out. But instead of speaking the blessing... He can just motion, and they rightly assume that he has seen a vision. Zechariah works the rest of his week, and then it says he goes home. Now, I can just picture when he gets home, and Elizabeth says, Hi, honey, how was your week? Did anything exciting happen while you were there in Jerusalem this week? And Zechariah can say nothing, but somehow he says to Elizabeth, And sure enough, Elizabeth, in her old age, becomes pregnant. Six months later, the second odd and wonderful announcement takes place. Gabriel, once again, didn't God have other angels? Why is he overworking Gabriel? Well, he's making a connection between these two. Gabriel goes, this time not to the capital city of Jerusalem, but to what we would call the boondocks, to Galilee, to, to the hinterlands, out at the, uh, what is it, Chris, the intersection of oblivion and nowhere, perhaps. To Galilee, to a little village called Nazareth, a place of little renown, and there to a, probably a teenage girl, because she was pledged to be married in the average age of, of Jewish betrothal to marriage 15 16 17 you became pledged to marry it was a formal you were husband and wife at the point of betrothal or pledging 
but you did not live together for a year or so. So the girl would have a year to remain with her parents, to get ready for marriage, to prepare for that. That was that year of betrothal. So Mary is some point in that year of betrothal, 15, 16, 17, maybe 18 years old. And this angel appears to her. And he says to her in Luke 1, 28, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Highly favored doesn't mean you're really good and you're really special. It means that the undeserved grace of God has fallen especially upon you. You've been chosen and you are blessed above all. Mary doesn't know what in the world this means and she asks the angel and he says in verse 30, Don't be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus, and he'll be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. This is an allusion to the promise that God had made to David in 2 Samuel, when David said, I want to build a house for you, meaning a temple, and God said, you're not going to build a house for me. Your son will do that. But instead, I'll make you a house, meaning a dynasty, meaning a lineage, meaning the house of David will never end. There will come a king from your descendants who will rule forever. And now the angel is saying to Mary, here it is. The promise to David a thousand years ago is now coming true through you. You're going to give birth to the king who will reign on the throne of David forever. Mary's a little more focused on the part about how in the world am I going to have a baby when I am not yet married in the full sense of the word to my husband. And so the angel said to her in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. No word from God will ever fail. Mary decides to go see Elizabeth. And these two have something in common, according to the word of the angel, and, and we, we're drawn to people who are like us, who have something in common with us, and so Mary leaves Nazareth, makes the 50 to 80 mile journey to the hill country of Judea south and she goes to see Elizabeth and she goes into the house and she calls out Elizabeth's name. Elizabeth, her relative, her cousin, some kin to her. Elizabeth. And an amazing thing happens. Elizabeth says, the moment I heard your voice, the baby inside of me kicked. He leapt. John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, has met Jesus. And the one who prepared the way for the Messiah, even before they're born, recognizes the Messiah. I told you this would be an odd and wonderful story. And Elizabeth turns and says to Mary, blessed are you above all women. And now Mary is filled with the Holy Spirit and Mary breaks out into song. And can you imagine this picture? Two women jumping and hugging and laughing and singing. An old woman, a teenage virgin, 
both of them pregnant, both of them filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow, what an odd and wonderful picture. Mary stays with Elizabeth three months. Elizabeth, six months pregnant when she got there, stayed three months, so she decides to leave before the birth of the child. She goes back home to Nazareth. And she gets home to Nazareth, and Joseph, the man to whom she is engaged or pledged, finds out that she is pregnant. Don't know how he finds out. Don't know if she tells him. Don't know if she begins to show in a few months. But Joseph finds out. And what would you think? Your fiancé, been on a trip to the big city, six months, just got back, she's pregnant, telling you about angels and all of this stuff. What would you think? And so Joseph did not believe Mary. And Joseph decided that he would divorce her quietly. Now the only way to end a, a betrothal, different from our engagement now, they are considered husband and wife even though they do not live together at all during this period and so he can't just break off the engagement he must divorce her it is usually done publicly that you some charge against her but he doesn't want to go that route so he doesn't want to hurt her and tries to he's gonna quietly divorce her but then while he's contemplating this God sends an angel in a dream to Joseph why in a dream I don't know God can do whatever he wants to do but in a dream he sends an angel to Joseph and here's what he says we're in the Gospel of Matthew now Luke apparently has talked to Mary or has some sources from Mary Joseph is obviously the source of Matthew's Gospel so Luke is telling Mary's viewpoint Matthew is telling Joseph's and so Matthew tells us of this appearance after he had considered this, and that is considered how he was going to divorce her quietly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, important how he addresses him here, Joseph, you who are descended from David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he'll save his people from their sins so first Mary and now Joseph have been instructed to name this child Jesus names sometimes are significant right not always but names sometimes are intended to communicate a message there's a grocery store near us named save a lot why did they name it that I think they named it that because they want you to get the idea hey I want to go there I might save a lot if I go there right there is a convenience store in Nashville called Twice Daily. Why? Because they want you to get the, an idea. I'll just stop there twice daily. I'll stop there on the, my way to work, and I'll stop there on my way home. It's Twice Daily. It's, its name means something. They said name him Jesus. Why? Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Joshua. Old Testament in, is in Hebrew, New Testament in Greek. So two languages, but the same word, same meaning, Joshua. Jesus means Jehovah, the name of God in the Old Testament, or Yahweh. We're not sure how to pronounce it because the Jews would never speak the holy name. So the old way, Jehovah, now we think probably Yahweh. Jehovah or Yahweh saves. Jeshua, Jesus, Jesus saves. The Lord saves. 
God saves. This is what Christmas is about. This name is to communicate to you. What we most need is salvation. And the salvation we need, the angel said, he will save his people from their sins. This is God's odd and wonderful plan to save the world. We're in a mess, aren't we, folks? Do you just watch the television? Are we in a mess? Have you just seen this cascade of sexual revelations that have come of of terrible abuse and harassment and all of these things. And on the one hand, we're reaping what we've sown in the objectifying of women in our culture. And it, it, but this abhorrent stuff, but here's the good news. God loves Matt Lauer and Charlie Rose and Weinstein and all of these guys and God loves sinners enough to save them and that's what Christmas is all about we're all in the same boat and you say, you might say well pastor you're sort of trivializing the terrible things they've done against women when you say that aren't you no I'm not trivializing it the gospel message of forgiveness that forgiveness for sin is possible does not trivialize sin because it is the cost of the son of the blood of the son of Jesus that b- purchases that salvation But the good news based upon that is there is the possibility of forgiveness of any sin. That's why he came Christmas. He said, call him Jesus because he will save us from our sin. And if any person, no matter what you've done, you may be just like this. Maybe you're sweating through this and you've been been engaged in some of the same things that you hear on television, on the radio. The good news is, yeah, you're a mess and you have failed And it has cost the blood of Jesus to save you. But the good news is, you can be forgiven. He loves you still. And he can save you. The angel goes on to say, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The virgin birth, it's really a virgin conception. The birth was very normal, but the conception was unusual. The virgin birth, a virgin conception, is to show us that it is God with us. The virgin birth shows us that Jesus is fully God and fully human. You see, in order to save us, he had to be God. Nobody can rescue us but God. But in order to die for us, he had to be human. The only way he could save us, because the wages of sin is death, is to die in our place for our sins. And so only humans can die. How could he be a human and die, but be a God and save? He was fully God and fully human. And that's the the amazing truth of the virgin birth. Think of it this way. If Jesus had had two normal human parents, you wouldn't have much problem believing that he was fully human, would you? But you might have some problem, is he really God? If he had had zero human parents, that is, if he just dropped down out of the sky the way he ascended, just came as a fully grown man, you wouldn't have much trouble maybe believing he was God, but you would wonder, is he really, is he really like me? Is he really human? But because he had one human parent, he is fully God, fully human. He is God with us. He is Emmanuel. He is the one who can save because he's God and because he is fully human. 
and he came to die for us. That's the message of Christmas. It's God's odd and wonderful plan to save the world. Joseph woke up from his dream, and he obeyed, and he took Mary to be his wife. The first chapter of the Christmas story introduces the themes. God cares about sinners, came to save us, did it in an odd way, through a virgin birth of a child, fully God, fully human, he came to save us. Would you stand together with me in a time of invitation? If you're a Christian today, would you worship during this time? Will you say, thank you, Jesus, that you love sinners, that you became human flesh for me. And if today you are still in your sins, that is, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, would you come today and receive the gift of salvation? Would you pray and say, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I would invite you to walk forward during this time and do that. If you need a church home, we would welcome you into our church family. Only two requirements are repentance and faith in Jesus and baptism by immersion as a symbol of that. If you're willing to do that or you've done that, we'd welcome you into our church family. God speaks to you as you come.